We're starting, uh, we started a series last week, we're in week two this week, uh, called Anchored, uh, where we're taking a closer look, a deeper dive into this thing called faith, because wherever we find ourselves with God or a higher power, whether we think there's a God or not, every single one of us has faith. Faith in something or someone that we think is going to help us when we need it the most to get through life. Uh, and last week, we, we kicked it all off looking at what it is we're putting our faith in. And we compared faith to an anchor and that it's important. We, we used an analogy of a boat and how an anchor helps hold a boat in a storm. Uh, but the anchor, as good as and as important as it is, you know, is like faith. It's important. But it's only as good as what we have it anchored in, the ground that it's anchored in. And the same is with our faith. Faith is important to us, but it's only as good as the thing it's anchored in. And what we looked at last week is that as Christians, which is what we're all about around here at the meeting place, is our faith is in, anchored in, the person of Jesus Christ. And if you missed last week, I I really encourage you to listen to it. You can catch it online or on our app. Um, But today, like, can you relate to that poor guy in that video I heard lots of knowing laughter out there. Uh, but, you know, you put your change into a vending machine. You push the corresponding buttons and nothing happens. It's almost like you feel like it's a conspiracy. Uh, you know, you hear the gears whirring and spinning, but nothing happens. It's frustrating, isn't it? So much so that sometimes, like the guy in that video, we just want to take a round out of the machine, right? You just give it a kick and give it a punch. Right? And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I've actually done that, you're not alone. The struggle is real. Check this out. The, the, this is true. This is wild. The Journal of the Medical Association reported in 2018 that on average, on average, there are 1,700 reported, keyword reported, cases of vending machines injuries. <laughs> hey, it get, listen to this. On average, between two and four people are killed by a vending machine every year because they fall on them after they shake them out of their frustration and anger. I mean, how crazy is that? Imagine that being on your epitaph. Killed by a vending machine. Whoa, he lived a good life. You know, vending machines are a great invention. They're all about convenience. You know, we can walk up to it if we're thirsty or we're hungry. We can kind of dump in our change, push the corresponding buttons, and we get what we want when we want it, Right? And it's great when it works, but man, when it doesn't, just like we saw in that clip, so frustrating. We end up just walking away. You know, as I was thinking about that whole analogy, I just got to thinking about my own experience with God. And it tracked, paralleled pretty much right along with how we look at vending machines. To me, God was the giant vending machine in the sky. That's what I grew up with. That's how I viewed him. Uh, And most of the time when I asked him for something, it seemed like he gave it to me. And so it was kind of cool. Here's how it would look. On my way to school, I'd look up at the sky and I'd say, God, please help me pass this test. I know I I didn't study for it, but please, I need to pass this test. Like really bad. And I'd pass it. And I'd be like, yay, God. You know, like, Awesome. Or, or this was another common one for me. I'd, I had this curfew. I had to be home at a certain time at night. And sometimes I'd be late. And, and so I'd be coming home and I'd be like, God, please 
let my parents be asleep. So I just don't, I don't want to get into a fight with them. I just want to just let them be asleep and I can just sneak in. And this one time I got home, it was better than that. They weren't even home. They didn't know I was late. It was like, yay God, right? You know, maybe you've had a similar experience. You know, on a wet and windy day, you, you got to go shopping and you're pulling into the parking lot and you're like, oh God, can I just please get a spot close to the front door? And you do. It's like, yay God. Or, or how, how about this? We've, we're all Islanders. We've experienced this. You're racing for the ferry. And you got the slowest driver on the island in front of you. And you're like, God, please let me make the ferry. i got to make this ferry. Please, 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 please. And you make the ferry. And it's like, yay God. Right? It's awesome when stuff like that happens. I love it when stuff like that happens. Now, here's a question. What happens when God, the, the vending machine in the sky doesn't give us what we ask for. What then? And, and, and when I mean that, I, I don't mean like not making the ferry, not getting the parking space, not getting home on time, that type of stuff. I mean, that's inconvenient, but you know what? There's always another ferry. There's always another parking spot you can get. There's always tests to rewrite, and I know that because I rewrote lots of them. Uh, but I'm talking about those times when life is hard when something happens and it hurts uh, in 1992 rem rock band rem released a song called everybody hurts maybe you've heard it the first verse ends with these words listen to this when you are sure you've had enough of this life well hang on because everybody hurts everybody cries you know, that song, even with its melancholy lyrics, because the lyrics are like that all through the song, it was like number one in the charts. And you think, well, why? why? With, with lyrics like that, well, I think it's because uh, with raw honesty, those lyrics capture the human experience. But if we walk this planet long enough, we're going to get hurt. We're going to cry. And so when life goes sideways... And it, and it doesn't make sense to us. And we're trying to make sense of it all. Isn't that when we need faith the most? Something to come through for us? And so often what we do is we pray and we ask God for help. You know, like, help me get through this. I don't know why this is going on. What is happening here? But nothing happens. Our circumstances stay the same. Nothing changes. And so... We begin to doubt that God, one, either doesn't care, or he's not even there. So, so what's that all about? <laughs> well, and I'm just going to throw this out for you to, to kind of roll around and think about, but here's what I think it's about. We all, as we make our way through life, create a picture, construct an idea of how what God is like and how he works, how this faith thing and it intersects with life. And we kind of piece that together. And it starts off when we're quite young. You know, we hear things from people that are close to us, maybe our parents or a teacher or something like that. And we, we kind of subconsciously just kind of file that stuff away. We're not really thinking about it too much, but it's there. But then as we get older and we start having conversations and, and we were introduced to more ideas about God and faith and how it all fits together, we begin to 
reconstruct this picture that we have of God. And we think, well, I really like this idea. I think I'll keep that. This, not too sure about that. I'll throw it away. And we design, we come up with this framework and a picture of God that works for us. It just makes sense in my brain. And for the most part, it works. But inevitably, like we heard in that song, something happens. Something happens in our life that uh, with our limited view of God, just it doesn't make sense. It's like, how how could that even be true? Like if God's like this, then why is, how could that be happening, right? So for example, maybe you were taught to believe that God would never abandon you. But your current circumstances, well, they say otherwise. Or maybe you were taught that God would always protect you. He's always going to be there for you. But your current circumstances indicate that nah, that doesn't look like it's true. Or maybe you, you, you were raised to believe that if you did ABC, you trusted that God would do DEF. And when he did, it was great. And so you consistently do ABC, but then one day, God doesn't seem to do DEF. And so you begin to doubt. You think, well, maybe this God thing is just a bunch of hooey. And so we walk away from our faith. You know, th- this, this is such a common story. And th- there are no doubt countless stories like that in this room. Stories that went something like this. You know what? I used to believe. I, I believed in God. But then something happened and I asked him to help me and he didn't. And so, you know, what? I don't know what I believe anymore. I just kind of given up on the whole thing. I'll just figure it out myself. Because we couldn't see God in our circumstance. It's what's called circumstantial faith. Our faith is based on what happens in our circumstances. But if you drill down a little bit, it's, it's not even circumstances that we're actually dealing with. What we're actually dealing with is our interpretation of our circumstance. And more often than not, when we're in the thick of it, when life is blowing in on us and pounding us, we're not very good at interpreting circumstances. You know, we have a very limited view of life in comparison to God and the universe and all that type of stuff. Uh, You and I operate in these very tiny, boxy, kind of constrictive time frames. And so here's how this rolls out. If we have a problem on Monday, we'll pray about it on Tuesday. And if something's not happening by Wednesday, well, something's wrong. Something's not working. And so we'll say to God, God, you know, I, I, I know it doesn't look like anything's happening right now. So I'm going to be really gracious with you right now. Uh, I'm going to give you till Sunday to fix this thing that needs fixing, whatever that happens to be for you, right? And we kind of put God in this timeline. Two weeks goes by, and we still don't have the result that we're asking for. You know, we've pushed the buttons, we've done the thing, and nothing's happening. And so we get confused. And if it goes on long enough, we just begin to doubt God, that he even exists, that he cares, that he's there. And we just, like, forget it. I'll figure this out on my own. But how many of us here have had something like this happen? 
you're going through something and you just cannot see through it. And you're like, this is absolutely the worst experience ever. I can't believe this is happening. I, this is so crappy. I wouldn't even wish this on my worst enemy. Right? You've ever, you've ever been there? And then a few years later, you look back and you went, I can't believe it. As crappy as that was, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. That's my story of how I ended up here. I was in a horrible situation, horrible circumstance. But looking back now, it's just like, oh man, I can see God's fingerprints all over it. The expectation of God delivering results in our time frame is so important to understand because when we evaluate God's faithfulness based on a timeline that works for us, in effect, what we're doing is we're pushing the buttons on the vending machine in the sky. I need this to happen. Click, click, click. We look at a day. We look at a week. God's looking at a year, a decade. Our time is not his time. We tend to look at our circumstance, what we're going through, whereas God sees through the circumstance to where things are going. And that's where faith comes in, because we have to believe that. It's not easy. I'm not saying this is easy. This is, it's a simple concept, but it's, it's not easy. But we, we have to come to the place that we can trust God, despite our current circumstances, that he has our best interest in mind. And, and we get a great example of this uh, in, a, in a letter that's written. Uh, it's found in the Bible. It's written to a bunch of first century Jews who had become Christ Jesus followers. They kind of abandoned their own. They had heard about Jesus and thought, wow, this is a way better way to do life and instead of dotting the i's and crossing the t's which judaism was all about keeping the law and it's just like wow this seems like a better way and so they abandoned their old faith system went to this one and what they had heard is one of the things they had heard jesus say or or, or that they were taught jesus said was that jesus said one day hey i'm going to be executed on a roman cross and i'm going to be buried but in three days i'm going to come back to life I'm going to hang around for a while, and then I'm going to go back to where I came from. I'm going to go back to heaven, but hang on, because I'm coming back. It's like his Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, right? I'm coming back. And what they understood, interpreted that to mean, was that Jesus would be, like, right back. Like, don't sit down, take your shoes off, take your coat off, get comfortable kind of right back. And that expectation gave them... Great hope. That's what they placed their hope in. They wanted Jesus to come back because their circumstances were hard. They were disowned by family and friends for for abandoning their faith and choosing to follow Jesus. They were in the crosshairs of the religious leaders of the day and the Roman government who was occupying the, the land at that time, both of whom didn't like Jesus or his followers. And so when they, these people had heard that Jesus was coming back, they were like, hurry up, get here, we're waiting. But then, days went by, and then weeks, and then months, even years. And they're there waiting, you know, maybe in the backyard, like, hello, I'm here, when are you coming back? Things aren't good here. I'm ready to go. 
And they're, one, they're, they're beginning to, to, to doubt Jesus, that he is coming back. They couldn't see him in the circumstances they found themselves in. And so what happened is their faith began to crumble. And they began, they, they just wanted to leave it all behind. That's why this letter called Hebrews, written, so named because that's who it was written to, was written to encourage those who couldn't see Jesus and their circumstances and were ready to give up on the whole Jesus thing. You know, and maybe that's your story. Or the story of somebody you know right now. They've got something going on in their life that doesn't make sense. The, the picture they have of God doesn't make sense. And they're just like, you know what? That's just, I, I can't even deal with that. Well, if, if that's where you happen to find yourself or somebody you know is, is at, I want to share some words from you from, from this letter. Uh, and it's, it's from a chapter that's often referred to as the Hall of Faith. It's kind of like the Hall of Fame, only it's the Hall of Faith. And it's so called because it recounts the stories of several people who had a faith in God that even though they couldn't see through their circumstances, they trusted God would see them through it. And it's really interesting because the writer, I, I don't know this for sure, but it seems as though he's, he wants to remind them what faith actually is. And we looked at this verse last week, but here's, what he, here's how he starts this whole chapter. He says, okay, listen, faith, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Put another way, you could say, it's like he's saying, like, faith is being sure, absolutely convinced, utterly confident in something that I hope for. That I hope this happens. I really hope this happens. And I am certain, completely, totally, and thoroughly sure that what God said is going to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet, is going to happen. That's faith, okay? That's the kind of faith he's talking about here. The rest of this chapter is full of stories of people who were full of that kind of faith. I'm sure that what you say is going to happen is going to happen, even though I haven't seen it happen yet. Like Noah. Noah was from the story of the flood. Uh, Listen, he says, by faith. And when he says faith, he's referring to that faith we just talked about. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear or respect for God, built an ark to save his family. Now, if you're not familiar with the whole flood scenario story, just go back to the beginning of the Bible, book of Genesis, get about six chapters in, and humanity is just in a mess. It's just like a disaster. And it's like God's looking at it going, I'm going to hit the reset button here, and kind of we'll start again. Uh, but before he does that, he's going to flood the earth, but before he does that, he comes to Noah, and he says to him, Noah, I need you to build a boat, a really big boat. And Noah responds in faith. Okay, I'm not sure exactly why you want me to build a boat, because I'm not sure if, if you realize this or not, but I live in the desert, in the mountains. It hasn't rained here. Like, I can't even remember what rain looks like. But if you say it's going to rain... Even though I can't see that happening, I believe it's going to happen because you said it's going to happen. And so we build a boat. That's faith. The writer goes on and he, he talks about this next guy who, if, if you were to go to Jerusalem today and grab a, a, an Israeli or a Jew and say, hey, 
where did your kind of whole faith, your race kind of like, where did it all get started? They would look at you and say, Abraham, they would name this guy. They would say, Abraham, he was our father. He's the one that kicked it all off. Right. Interesting thing about that is when we get introduced to Abraham in the 12th chapter of the first book of the Bible, he's old. He's like 75. Sorry. He's married. He's married to a woman named Sarah. And she's kind of old too. She's around 70. Uh, They don't have kids, never had kids. And so the last thing on their mind is building a nursery. They're like, oh, what color should we go? You know, like, hey, let's have a reveal party, right? They're not thinking that. But then God comes to Abraham one day and he says, Abraham, I need you to do something for me. Okay, what's that? Pack up your wife, pack up all your stuff and go. Don't worry, I'll show you where. It's kind of vague, right? Imagine coming home to your significant other and say, hey, honey, pack up the kids, pack up the stuff. We're out of here. We're moving. Where to? I don't know. We're just moving. Right? It's just like you put it in that context. It's like, well, that's it's a big deal. So God comes to me and says, look, Abraham, don't worry. I'm going to show you where I'm going to send you. Okay. But why? Like, why do I have to go there? And he's, well, I'm going to start a country. And I'm going to build that country through you. And I know you don't have any kids yet. I get that. You've never had kids. Your wife can't have kids. But I'm telling you right now, you are going to have so many kids, so many grandkids, so many great, great grandkids, so many great, 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 great grandkids. You're not going to be able to count them all. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, even Sarah, his wife, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him, him being God, faithful. She was sure that what he said was going to happen was going to happen, even though it hadn't happened yet. That's faith. And so from this one man, and they're referring to Abraham, the writer's referring to Abraham, and I love what he says next, and he is good as dead. That's how old he was, okay? They said it, not me, okay? Uh, And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, came descendants, get this, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And this just continues through the rest of this chapter. It goes on and on and on. And I would encourage you to to grab a Bible, download a Bible, and read this chapter. It's absolutely fascinating. And every single story starts with the same two words. By faith. By faith, these people, even though they couldn't see everything, they were sure of what they hoped would happen, even though it hadn't happened yet. And it was despite the circumstances that they found themselves in. And if you read through this chapter, and again, I'd encourage you to do that, some of them found themselves in some pretty dire circumstances. Because they had chosen to follow Jesus, some, they were destitute. They were ridiculed. They were mistreated. They were homeless, living in caves. But despite all of that, they refused to give up on God because their faith wasn't anchored in circumstance. All these people died having faith in God. 
They did not receive what God had promised to them. It sounds kind of weird. But they could see far ahead to all the things that God had promised, and they were glad for them. And what God had promised is, there is something better coming after this life. And that you can count on. In the late 1800s, and maybe you've heard this story before, but it's a fantastic story. A lawyer named, uh, from Chicago named Horatio Spafford became a, a Jesus follower. Just through a bunch of a series of events. And not long afterward, becoming a, a follower of Jesus, he suffered incredible loss. Uh, there was a gr- huge fire in Chicago in 1871. Wiped out pretty much every building he owned. But worse than that, he killed his son. Lost his son. And his wife was absolutely devastated. And so their, their family doctor said, you know, maybe the best thing to do is go on a family vacation. Just get, just get away from all of this. Re, you know, just separate yourself from all of this. And so what he did is he, he sent his, his wife and his four daughters ahead to Wales, put them on a boat, sent them off. He had to stay back, carry, you know, just do some last-minute business, but he was going to catch up to them, and he sent them off. Halfway through their trip, their ship was struck by another ship and sank in minutes. And all four of his daughters drowned. His wife made it to Wales. And so he hopped on a ship to go be with her. And as he's on his way, he's lost all his income. He's lost his son. He's lost his four daughters. And on his way to, to, to meet his wife, he pens one of the greatest, most famous hymns of all time. It's called, When Peace Like a River. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. When life just comes pounding in on me. Whatever my lot, whatever my circumstances, whatever's going on in my life. You have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Can you imagine writing that? The question I ask myself is, would my faith take me through circumstances like that? Would I come out the other side, a positive, hope-filled person, looking for something that is beyond this, beyond my, certain, my, my, my current circumstance? And I would love to say, well, yeah, no, no problem, emphatic yes, yeah, I'm there. But you know what? I don't know. I think it's one of those things, until you're in that, you just don't know. But I, here's what I will say. I'm on a journey to build a faith like that. A faith that's anchored in not the circumstances of my life, that if things are good, you know, yay God. But if it's not, then, well, I don't even think there is a God. But anchored in the reality of the life and death and resurrection of a person, the person Jesus Christ. That's what I want my faith to be solidly anchored to. And, and my hope and my prayer is that you'd want, you're after the same thing. Because everybody hurts. And the question we have to ask is when we're hurting, who are we going to turn to? Who are we going to put our faith in to get us through that? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. 
and certain of what we do not see. And I hope you come back next week as we continue on diving into this, how to strengthen our faith, how to, how to kind of get that kind of faith. And I'm just honored to be on this journey with you. I invite you to pray with me. You know, God, it's, it's true. You know, for years I lived with this picture of you that um, if you did good things, then you existed. But if, if you didn't kind of help me out, then, well, I kind of began to doubt that. But it, it, it's, it's moving past that, sitting in the reality of who you are, knowing that you can be trusted. And it's, again, it's, not, it's a journey. It's, it's not a one and done thing. It, it, it takes time. And that's why you've created this thing called the church where we can come together as a family. We can walk with each other, link arms with each other, help our, ourselves get through this stuff with you right in the center of it. And so my prayer is, for me, that, and for all of us, that if we would just continue to, to dig down in our faith so it's rock solid, anchored in you, the reality of you. And so wherever people find themselves this morning, if, if they're hurting, man, that you would just touch them. They would just sense your peace, your grace, your mercy, and your love. We thank you for loving us, and we pray this in your name. Amen.